All right, church, we're going to be continuing in uh, the book of Malachi. If you all would, go ahead and turn um, there to the last book of the Old Testament. We're going to be picking up in verse 17. We've been going through our series, I Don't Know, You Tell Me. And as we've progressed through the book of Malachi, you've probably picked up, uh, not just on me saying it, but picked up on uh, just from reading, that this is a dialectic uh, writing style. We're seeing this conversation between God and His people. And really, he's, God's being what God always is, is a good rabbi, a teacher to his people, and he's making them do homework and come to some conclusions on their own, because when we do that, church, when, when we challenge people, even in our evangelism and life, whatever it might be, when we don't just simply give the answer, but we make them work a little bit for it, it's more personal, it's very intentional, and it's, it's going to have a greater effect in the long run. So that's what's happening here, is God is... This is the, the last effort here before we're going to end up seeing Jesus in the New Testament, right? Jesus is coming, and, and really John the Baptist and the prophecy of, of John the Baptist coming and uh, preparing the way for the Lord, the Messiah, the one who was to come for them. This is the last effort here. Change. Turn around from the way that you're living and follow me, Yahweh, your God. We see this again and again in the Old Testament that God is continually trying to get his people back onto the right way of living, the right way of worship. And they continue to fall back into their same old ways. We pick up here in chapter 2, verse 17. If you don't have a Bible, by the way, uh, some of the seats, they should be in front of you. You can grab one of those Bibles and use that uh, this morning. And if you don't have a physical Bible, please come find me after service and we will get one into your hands because we love the Word of God around here. But verse 17, picking up in chapter 2, says, You have wearied the Lord with your words. But you say, how have we wearied Him? By saying, everyone who does evil is good in the sight of the Lord and He delights in them. Or by asking, where is the God of justice? Behold, I send my messenger and He will prepare the way before me. And the Lord whom you seek will suddenly come to His temple. And the messenger of the covenant in whom you delight, behold, He is coming, says the Lord of hosts. But who can endure the day of his coming, and who can stand when he appears? For he is like a refiner's fire, like fuller's soap. He will sit as a refiner and purifier of silver, and he will purify the sons of Levi, and refine them like gold and silver, and they will bring offerings and righteousness to the Lord. Then the offering of Judah and Jerusalem will be pleasing to the Lord, as in the days of old and as in former years. Then I will draw near to you for judgment. I will be a swift witness against the sorcerers, against the adulterers, against those who swear falsely, against those who oppress the hired worker and his wages, the widow and the fatherless, against those who thrust aside the sojourner. And do not fear me, says the Lord of hosts. God's word for us this morning, church. Let's be in an attitude of prayer. Father, we come before you this morning just to praise your name. And as we approach this text, I pray that you would, you would move in our heart, God, that you would sanctify us. God, help us to, to turn away from our flesh. Help us to turn away from our understanding. Rebuke us for trying to be the king over our life. But comfort us in your spirit soon after. I pray that we would see that we are not to be the eternal judge of anyone's life, God, lest we cast judgment on ourselves. I pray that we would lift one another up, our brothers and sisters, pointing them in the way of good conduct, which is in Your Word. 
I pray that we would follow you faithfully, not alone, but together. I pray that you would, you would unite us with one another, God, that, that we, would not, we would not see an obstacle and just run from it, but we would embrace it together, knowing that on the other side, we would be better off. And ultimately, that your spirit would lead us, that you would strengthen us, because without you, we are nothing and we will get nowhere. God, I pray that you would just illuminate this text to our hearts this morning, and that you would leave an everlasting imprint on the person here today that does not know you, and you would redeem them to yourself and for yourself, and you'd be glorified. Lord, we love you and we praise you, and we ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So, going to be a, a rebel Baptist this morning and just give you one point. How about that? Not, not three points, not even my main point with three supporting points and uh, so, some sub-points of the, the sub-points and you know, so on and so forth. we got one main point as we look at this text, and it's very clear, that God will serve justice. God will serve justice. You know, I was thinking uh, this past week about when I used to work in, in a warehouse back in West Virginia. It was like my only like, secular job other than like Best Buy and um, so if I refer to it a lot, you're like, what did you do? Like, don't forget, I'm only 27, only had a few jobs, uh, been, you know, blessed to pastor our church uh, since 2017, so that's like, you know, five years or whatever, and then even before that, just uh, interning, doing a lot of ministry work. But this job, I'll refer to uh, quite often, and it was hard work, right? We're running around all day, the warehouse gets super cold in the winter, and it gets unbelievably hot, like close to, I think, the temperatures of, of hell, uh, which is why I'm gladly a believer today, because I know that that was no fun, so um, eternity of hell uh, could not be fun either. So you'd find yourself in the middle of the summer, scorching hot, and you think one of your like, co-workers isn't doing their job. And that used to irritate me, and I'd say, look, man, you haven't done your job. This is my first summer there, and like, you are slacking off, or what they call milking the clock, um, and they would call us milkers, and I was like, you're being a milker. It was like my first time with like, the finger. I'm like, you're a milker. I'm doing all the work around here. And they said, well, let's pull it up and see who's done the most lines. You can do that. I didn't know that. And they said, let's, let's pull it up. Let's pull it up in the system. Tell you what, Aaron, our supervisor, he says, Aaron, run the numbers. Let's see who's done the most lines. I was getting smoked that day. And, and the thing about it is, is I realized had I just kept my mouth shut and done my job, I would have gone home feeling good about the work I had done and not known that I was the one who had who'd been slacking according to the numbers. And when we read this passage today, we see the very same thing with um, the, the people at the time, the Israelites. They're running their mouth to God. God, you, you, you don't serve justice. You don't know what's good or bad. And he says, I'll tell you what's good or bad. You all haven't done this. You're not doing this. You're giving me lame offerings. You're giving me blemished offerings. You're not praising me. You're not doing this and that. And he goes on and on. This whole book is just a big rebuke to God's people to get them to turn around. But it's one of those cases where if they would have just kept their mouth shut, they wouldn't have been here. Kind of. Their hearts were still wrong, and God is after our heart. Amen, church? He doesn't just want our uh, outward appearance of good. He wants to make us good. And that starts from the inside, changing our heart, giving the dead man life. God will serve justice. You need, as we approach the text this morning, we need to... to to begin to sit back and focus on the jobs that, that God has given to us and stop trying to play the judge. 
There's only one judge, and that's God. And what I don't mean, let me make clear and lay the foundation, is I don't mean that you are not to rebuke your brother and sister in Christ when they sin. I'm not saying you shouldn't call them to, um, to good and righteous works. I'm not saying we don't uplift one another. I'm not saying we don't call out sin where sin is. But I'm saying we are not to be the eternal judge, and we're not to judge the judge himself. We are not the judge. And we can be assured that the judge, God, our Lord, will serve justice. So the first thing we're going to look at here is verse 17. And this is the case. This is their case to God and really God's case to them. But we see they have two strong rebukes as we read verse 17. And that's that God is not serving justice and God does not see or differentiate good and evil. Verse 17, You have wearied the Lord with your words. Here comes their their petty rebuttal, right? But you say, how have we wearied Him? By saying, everyone who does evil is good in the sight of the Lord and He delights in them. Or by asking, where is the God of justice? The Old Testament is full of scriptures that say God does not delight in the wicked one. God destroys that which is wicked. God separates that which is wicked. Without Christ Jesus, we can look good on the outside, have wrongful intent, and if at the beginning of our eternity, right, when we leave this life, we will be separated and cast away from Him forever. God does see this. And we'll get into that. They're saying, God, you don't, you don't see what's good or evil. A little bit of context here. They are watching the enemy prosper. We read in Nehemiah and Ezra that they continue to face backlash and persecution based off their faith. They go to rebuild the wall. They face opposition. They don't want them to rebuild the wall. And we're not just talking about, I don't like you, right? We get like real upset about stuff like that. Like, I hate your God. I don't like Jesus. I'm an atheist. And we just like want to go cry tears in our corner. They faced real oppression. They faced real persecution, right? They were being killed. They were being, like, you, you read Nehemiah, they tried to get Nehemiah outside of the gates and outside of the city, and what were they going to do? They were going to kill him, but he, he, he has this vision, and he knows what's going to happen. The Lord protects him, and he speaks out. Again and again, we see this with God's people, that they're facing real opposition. And it doesn't matter if they, they reach their high and their point on top of the hill and, and life seems to be going well and it feels like they're prospering, they continue to look out at the enemy and they feel as though the enemy, those who are opposing and oppressing them, are prospering more. And it leads them to say, God, where are you? Where are you, God? The enemy is prospering. And even in my faithfulness, I feel like I'm just being pushed down and isolated and stomped all over. You guys relate to that this morning? Feeling as though I've been going to church. I'm not even tithing. I'm like 15% in it, right? I'm like up in the ante. I'm, I'm serving in the kids, right? I'm, I'm serving with the kids. I'm, I'm uh, volunteering time at the, the shelter. I'm, I'm doing all these things in my life and it feels as though I can never get ahead, and the one who hates me the most in this life, my enemy, who hates my God, is doing super well. They're driving a, a nicer car. It doesn't seem like they have any debt. seems like their life is just perfect. So for some reason, that leads us to begin to question God. Not just you, me. Don't feel like, I don't want to like, like think it's about me. 
or I feel guilty because I've thought that before. Every person in here has thought that before, period. Maybe not to an extreme, right? maybe not to like the highest of levels, right? Almost like the total depravity of man. We're not as, as bad as we can be, but we're all as bad off as we can be without Jesus. So we've all felt this at some point, and we, we have the same case within our heart. Maybe we've never said it out loud, but we look around and we see all these things going on around us. It seems like the enemy, it seems like those who hate God are doing well. And we're like, why? Like, God, do you not even know what good and evil is? Yes, he does. He is good. He does know evil. He is righteous. He's holy, and he's called us to a holy way of living, regardless of how good the other side looks. Because guess what? That's a distorted view of Jesus when we think the other side is doing well because they are prospering on temporal things. You, child of God, you are prospering for eternity because of what Jesus has done inside of you. Do not have your eyes set on the earthly things. Verse 17. It's that same case that we, we build for ourselves. We have the this, this same idea in our head. Where are you, God? And the Israelites are disputing God's eye for justice. Another rendering here, it's like you've wearied the Lord. Like annoyed, right? That'd be another rendering for wearied. They've annoyed the Lord. And it sounds so mean, but like if you're a parent, you know you love your child, right? But when they ask the same question, when they challenge your authority, over and over and over. And this has been an ongoing thing since the beginning of time because Adam and Eve wanted to, to be like God. Not, not to like be like Him like an image of God. They wanted to become gods of their own. They wanted to know everything that He knew. It was a, it was a fight for power. And when my four-year-old is fighting me for power, it drives me crazy. I love her to death and I'd do anything for her, but she wearies or an, annoys me. Oh, Michael, you're so mean. Come on. I know you all, like you parents. I, I get an amen. Amen, parents? A amen. Yeah, you all be a little bit louder, but you're afraid your kids might hear. They're going to go back and listen to the recording and figure out which parent said amen. It's what happens. It's this power struggle. And what's going on here is exposing the power struggle that they were in trying to become the judge of all things when they should have been worshiping the judge of all things. See, God does see good. God does see bad. And He does carry out justice accordingly. That's where we get God's rebuttal here in verse 1. He begins to, to rebuke them for everything. Right? Okay. All right. You want, you want to talk about good and evil? Verse 1's where we pick up. And He's like, let me show you what's going to happen. Behold, I send my messenger and he will prepare the way before me. And the Lord whom you seek will suddenly come into his temple and the messenger of the covenant and whom you delight. Behold, he is coming says the Lord of hosts. You want justice now for your sake, but you won't want it when Jesus comes. Verse 1, we, we have two messengers here in, in, in verse 1, and maybe we don't pick up on it, but let me explain. First messenger, to prepare the way. This is a prophecy of John the Baptist. We get this in Isaiah, and we also get it in chapter 4, how we're going to end the book of Malachi. I don't want to give any spoilers, but we see prophecy of John the Baptist that he would come, he would be the messenger to prepare the way for the Lord, the coming of Jesus. And this was common in this time, in the ancient times, to send a messenger to prepare the way for a king. Which is really neat when you think about it like that. That, that even in history, 
there was this messenger that would go and prepare the way and remove, not just preparing, saying, here comes the Lord, but preparing the way by removing all hindrances and obstacles that would have been in the way from seeing the king. That would have hindered the view, or particularly here with Jesus, hindered your worship of the true king. John the Baptist came from the wilderness to prepare the way for the one who was to come. Jesus Christ, the one, behold, the one who takes away the sins of the world. He was calling out and preparing the way for the Messiah. He would be the messenger that would do that for our Lord Jesus. Because behold, I send my messenger and he will prepare the way before me. And the Lord whom you seek will suddenly come to his temple. Let me pause there real quick, like mid-verse. I think it's so interesting in the Old Testament, waiting and longing for Jesus. When's the Messiah going to come? Look at our enemies. They're, they're prospering. We're not doing well. Look at them. We, we're waiting for you, Jesus. We're waiting for you, Jesus. We're waiting for you. Okay, here's a messenger. He's going to prepare the way. And then the Lord, whom you seek, will suddenly come to his temple. And what did they do? They rejected him. And I have to say it before I forget. We, the further and further we get from Jesus' resurrection, the more we look like the Old Testament Israelites. It, it was good news 2,000 years ago. But now I'm starting to wonder, the more and more we get away from it, when God's going to show up? I wonder when He's going to do anything. When is He going to call out the evil that is amongst us? Not just in our country, like some of us are, are freaking out because things are happening in our country that like, we've never seen before, but it's been happening around the world. Like, it, it's not anything new, but we're starting to really panic and really freak out, and it's starting to make us question God instead of being faithful and saying, guess what guys, He is coming back. So I pray that as we continue in this text this morning that we don't become like the Israelites of this time who are waiting for the Lord and then He suddenly comes upon them and it's not good news for them. Do not be surprised at the coming of the Lord because though we may see the enemy prosper now, Jesus is coming back and He will serve justice. Do not be caught off guard by it. He will suddenly come to His temple and the messenger, this is Jesus, this is the second messenger of verse 1. And the messenger of the covenant in whom you delight, behold, he is coming, says the Lord of hosts. The messenger of the covenant is Jesus. Jesus was coming. It says suddenly. This is not fast. It's not like, you know, taking off like Forrest Gump to get into his temple. Like he's, he showed up when it was least expected. Right? I don't know if you all remember, like times are like a little bit different. Maybe I'm like right at the, the part in like being a millennial where I remember people knocking on your door and just coming over just to come over. Anybody like not remember that? Anybody never have anybody knock on your door like that you did not expect that wasn't a Jehovah Witness? Anybody? No? Okay, so we can all relate to this. All right, everybody can feel this. So I remember as a kid, you'd hear like a knock on the door. And my mom, who was like a neat freak anyways, like my mom's idea of messy is like, sorry Nelson, but like a paper being on the ground. Yeah, is that the song you're doing next? It's not, you're good. And my mom would, would freak out about a piece of paper being on the floor and she'd hear that knock and like, oh, we got to clean, we got to clean. I wasn't expecting that. My idea of, of messy is like you knock on my door and you all know, where's it go? The front closet. Like we used to be like, like 
we, we try and keep up with the kids, and you know, we got a four-year-old and a one-year-old, uh, two daughters, and it's like you clean a mess and you turn around and there's a new mess. So now it's just like, all right, we can either battle all day long or we can just fight the good war when they're in bed and it can be clean. Now we're going to be tired and we're going to just go to bed right after, but we'll just wait and do it all at one time instead of over and over and over. And for them, Jesus shows up suddenly, right? Like this was, this was sudden, and guess what? It's going to be sudden. His second coming, when he actually comes to judge, Jesus came to redeem in his first coming. The second time, he's coming to judge. And it'll come like a thief in the night. Don't be caught off guard by it. Long for it. Desire it. But it shouldn't keep us or hinder us from worshiping now. We know He's coming back and He's going to be the judge. He's going to come and there will be judgment. But for now, we should faithfully worship the judge who we know is coming. It wasn't fast. It was when they least expected it. And again, I just am reminded, are we becoming the Israelites of the Old Testament? When is Jesus coming back? Pastor Simon and I argue all the time. He's like, seven years, man. I think it's happening before William even gets to third grade, man. And I'm like, I don't, I don't know. But one thing that we do know is he is coming back. It might be in our lifetime, but the timeline should not keep us from doing what God has told us to do here and now at all. And that's what's happened. They've, they've been waiting and, and they feel like it, as though there's injustice on God's part. But we look back and they've profaned the covenant. They're divorcing. They're faithless to their uh, brothers and sisters of covenant community. They're, um, the priests are offering up blemished offerings. Now this is partly the people's fault, but the priests are allowing it, right? I'd be like us as pastors, like, hey, we know you make six figures, but you can put Monopoly money in the offering box. God won't know. That's judgment on us, and then that'll be judgment on your part. None of us are right for doing that. They're polluting all of the offerings. Church, we are to be faithful here and now and know that He is going to serve justice. Who can endure Verse 2, but who can endure the day of his coming? And who can stand when he appears? For he is like a refiner's fire and like fuller's soap. Fuller's soap is like a chemically extract, it's chemically extracted from, a chemical extracted from plants to remove difficult stains. Like I think this is, is super interesting because not only is Jesus washing away our, our spiritual stains, right? Like he's making us new. But He is also going to purify. He's going to make it good. right? He's going to bring out that which is good in the fabric, which is from Himself and us. And He's going to remove that which is dirty. Like a refiner's fire, so, so hot that only that which is pure can withstand. That is what Jesus is coming to do at His Second coming. And Jesus is doing it now in our suffering. Refining us. You see, church, when we suffer, we're actually more connected to Christ than when we don't suffer. If you want to feel connected to Jesus, don't go to the movies and say, I'm going to the movies with Jesus. Just worship Him in your suffering. Think about it. If, if you could take a minute in the midst of your suffering, like write this down 
like, I'm going to say get it tattooed on you and I'll probably get some backlash. But get it tattooed on you so you can remember that in the middle of your suffering, you can say, I'm connected to Christ right now. Because I'm sharing in His suffering. You know, Jesus took away the eternal punishment that we, we so deserved. But when we suffer here and now, we are more connected to Christ than ever. And that's a blessing. And then, when we faithfully come through on the other side, He's glorified and our faith is made stronger. See, the truth is, is we don't really face our persecution. We don't really face our trials with faith. We face it with a fix. Okay, I've got money problems. Like, let me just ask somebody and never turn to God. Let me, let me just not trust in God and, and go look for any other solution. Let me not trust in God and I'm going to go play the lottery because that's a better chance of, of hitting the fix. But instead, if we would turn to God, we would be reminded the next time we face that struggle that God was faithful then, He's faithful now, and He'll be faithful forever. Just like when we talked about in our guy study, that when we look at the attributes of God, we can pray those attributes and know that it is true of God now and forever. And it connects us to Christ in the middle of that trial. Immutability means God doesn't change. Right? Let me give a practical example from what we talked about in the guy's study. It means God doesn't change. Okay, so then when we're going through a trial, whatever it might be in your life, maybe you, you immediately thought of that trial, then in the midst of that, you can pray and say, God, I know that You never change. I know that Your Word still stands true, and because You never change, Your faithfulness never goes away. You are faithful, God, and I pray that You would... You would Teach me to lean on you who doesn't change and not on the world that is constantly changing. Amen. And then we can let go of it. We've given it to God. We're trusting in Him. And that doesn't mean like I don't go out and work, right? Like if you're having financial problems, you don't quit your job. You don't just say, well, the Lord's just going to bless me. But you say, I'm going to lean on God in all circumstances and in all things. That whole, I can do all things through Him who strengthens me is actually applicable in that sense. Not, I can go dunk a basketball because I can do all things in Christ who strengthens me. Jesus is never going to give me the legs to dunk, church. Period. I can say that verse. I can tattoo it. I can write it on the sole of my shoe. I can get the sweetest LeBrons, the coolest Jordans, even though LeBron's better. And I will not ever be able to dunk on a 10-foot rim. It's not going to happen. But what Paul was saying and Philippians 4.13 is that I can do all things through Him who strengthens me, meaning it didn't matter in His prosperity or in His, his um, poverty, He was going to praise God because God deserved that praise. It didn't matter what His life situation was. God was not only going to get that from Paul, but Paul knew that He deserved that from Paul. Church, God deserves our praise and deserves our glory. And it's not an option. It's like if you leave me hanging on a high five, someone else is going to pick it up, right? God's going to get what God deserves. And He was seeking the heart of the Israelites. Not their actions, not their blemished offerings. And it really, church, when we look at offerings, they had options for the offerings. You couldn't afford this, then you could do this. God was not after the sacrifice, but after the heart, which is ultimately our spiritual sacrifice, as Paul says. Presenting our bodies a living sacrifice to the Lord, which is holy and, 
holy and acceptable to the Lord, which is our spiritual worship. He will get what he deserves. And look, he says this. All this is going to happen. He will sit as a refiner and purifier of silver, and he will purify the sons of Levi. So he starts with, with the, uh, the priest. right? He rebuked the priest first, and then moved to the people, and we see here that he's going to refine them first, and then he's going to move to the people. Purify the sons of Levi and refine them like gold and silver. And the result of that is, and they will bring offerings and righteousness to the Lord. Then the offering of Judah and Jerusalem will be pleasing to the Lord as the days of old and as in former years. Then, verse 5, then I will draw near to you for judgment. I will be a swift witness against the sorcerers, against the adulterers, against the, those who swear falsely, against those who oppress the hired worker and the, his wages, the widow and the fatherless, and against those who thrust aside the sojourner and do not fear me, says the Lord of hosts. Church, what this passage is teaching us is, is yes, indeed, God will serve justice but we are to be evaluating our hearts. Evaluate your life daily. Not to doubt yourself. Not to say, I'm not worthy. I'll never live up to. Church, we already know that. We knew that at the moment of salvation when you professed faith in Jesus. Otherwise, you would have never done that. By professing faith in Jesus, you're saying, I know I'm not worthy, but I know the One who is. And I trust in Him. But we evaluate daily so that we can be sanctified according to His Word and obey Him and therefore glorify Him through the way that we live. It is an act of worship. The author of Christ-Centered Exposition for the book of Malachi says this, Examination of works today is better than elimination of blessing tomorrow. So praise God for purging us through suffering. The goal of God is to conform us into the image of His Son, not to make us happy, not to keep us healthy, or not to make us wealthy, but to conform us into the image of Christ Jesus our Lord. Church, that's what's, that's what's trash about thinking you're not worthy each and every day and beating yourself up. Our suffering is not to drive us away from Christ, but to drive us to Christ. It's not to drive us into despair, but into repair mode that is being done by Jesus Christ in your life through the process of sanctification. That's what's trash about the prosperity gospel because Jesus' plan for you here and now is not to make you healthy and wealthy. It's to make you lean on Him and all that you do and to be faithful unto Him because your health and, and all of your life and all of your blessing is, is set for eternity. Now, you may experience health and wealth now. That's great. But there's plenty of brothers and sisters who won't experience that. Your temporal situation is not a matter of fact or a, an example of your eternal situation. So if you're poor today, praise God. If you're wealthy today, praise God. If you have nothing to give, make much of it. If you have lots of, to give, make much of it. Everything that we have or lack thereof should be given unto the Lord for His glory. And if you notice, you're like, I don't have anything to give. What do I give? Your heart. If you have everything to give, what do you give? Your heart. And your heart will change the way that you live and the way that you breathe and the things that you do. And maybe today you're like, yeah, but my enemy's still walking around all happy this morning and I'm over here. They're probably still sleeping in. I'm still in church. Psalm 73 is your homework, church. I'm not going to follow up with you, but Psalm 73 
Do not feel alone and, and you're and your hurt when you see the outside world, those rejecting Jesus, appearing to do well, when the enemy seems to, to be doing well. Asaph felt the same way when he wrote this psalm. And, and David, really, you can read a lot of his uh, psalms of lament where he's, he's pouring his heart out to God and out of frustration and anger. Psalm 73 deals with this. The enemy's prospering. And Asaph says, at the very end, after pouring his heart out, let me go back to 23. 23 through 28 of Psalm 73. Nevertheless, I am continually with you. You hold my right hand. You guide me with your counsel. And afterward, you will receive me to glory. Whom have I in heaven but you? And there is nothing on earth that I desire besides you. My flesh and my heart may fail, but, my, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. For behold, those who are far from you shall perish you put an end to everyone who is unfaithful to you. But for me, it is good to be near God. I have made the Lord God my refuge, that I may tell of all your works. Ben, you can go ahead and come back up here. He says, those that are separated, those who are far from you, they will perish. You put an end to everyone who is unfaithful to you. So even though we sit here today and we look at the enemy prospering, First off, we don't hope that they, they never come to know Jesus. We actually share Jesus. But our hope is not in our temporal situation. It's in eternity, which has been secured by Jesus Christ, not ourselves. And we can lament, and we can be confused, and we can be frustrated. But my prayer this morning for us, church, is in those moments that we would end it like ASAP. What are we going to do apart from God? We've got nothing to lean on except for that. Church, if we don't understand our situation, pray to God for the wisdom, and it'll be granted to you. You don't know what to do in those moments? Pray to God for the wisdom, and it'll be granted to you. Look, we're going to leave here today, and I guarantee you we're going to face this moment this week where we look and we, we don't understand how we could be so faithful and feel so uh, persecuted, and someone could be so faithless and look to be living their best life. They may be living their best life because our best life is not here and it is not now, but it's eternity. The life that Jesus has given us where we'll celebrate Him and what He's done for us forever and ever. And we can't do that alone. We must do that together. That's why it's so important to be involved in, and if you're a guy, be at the guys group next Tuesday, 6 p.m. If you're a girl, be at the girls group this Tuesday, 6 p.m. Because in our trials and our sufferings, yes, we're connected to Christ, but we should also be connected together through fellowship around His Word. There's no other way to do it. There's no other way. We cannot create our own method. If we do, it's going to fail. Look, churches do that all the time. We try and be hip and we try and come up with these new ideas. It's fellowship around God's Word. That's what we must do. We must gather around God's Word with one another, do life together. That means talking about the messy situations. It means celebrating the good situations. It means as a parent, I'm going to talk about how horrible my kid was and, and how angry I was and how I, in a moment of lapse, like I just like lashed out. Right? And we're going to talk about those real things so that we can ultimately be sanctified by God's Word and be obedient to Him. And we're not worried about the enemy. We're worried about us. Then. I need to have a right heart before God. He saved me, and He did not save me so that I can continue to live like the dead person I once was before I knew Him. He gave me life, so I'm going to use it for Him and Him alone.
Church, my challenge for us this week, if you're a believer, rest in that good news. Rest in that. Jesus is, is coming back one day, so you don't need to be the judge today. Jesus is coming back, so you do not need to be the judge today. You need to be faithful to him who saved you. And if you don't know Jesus, I urge you, I implore you to come find one of the pastors, and we would love to talk to you about what it means to, to profess with your mouth, believe in your heart, confess with your mouth and believe in your heart that Jesus is Lord and you will be saved. We'd love to talk to you about what that means. We'd love to see your eternity changed today. So church, if you all would, go ahead and stand. We're going to sing another song to the Lord. And I pray that we would just give our life to Jesus as, as a believer just saying, this, this is yours. You saved me. Use me for my good, for everyone's good, and for your glory. And if you're not a believer, that you give your life to Christ for the very first time. Father God, we, we love you. We come to you this morning just praying for encouragement at this point. Went ten rounds with your word. We pray that you would just show us ways that, that we can be faithful this week to you. Give us the strength and the boldness through your spirit that dwells inside of us to do the things that you've called us to do. To not run from the commands which you've given, but to embrace them and to honor you through faithful, obedient living. Father, we believers this morning, we, we praise you for saving us. We thank you for sending your son to die for us. We did not deserve it. No way we could earn it. Thank you for your grace and for your mercy this morning. Lord, I pray that you would be with the, the ladies this Tuesday as, as they meet to fellowship. I pray that they would, they would be open and honest, vulnerable, and talk about real life issues. And ultimately, they put you into perspective, saying, this is the way we need to live. We should not be focused on the here and now of our situation, but the eternity which you have saved us to. Lord, I pray that, that this week when it, when it seems like work is a drag, it, it seems like people are, are coming down on us, it seems like Christianity is just being pushed more and more to the side, we would say, no, it doesn't matter. We are going to be faithful for you. We are going to make that decision this week to be faithful. For you, our God, are faithful even when we are faithless. I pray that we would reciprocate. Just try to, just a little bit faithfulness in what you've shown us. Lord, be with us. I pray that you would bless the offering this morning. God, make much of it, that you would multiply it for our good and for your glory. Lord, I pray that you would be with Kathy's house and the mission that we, we heard about this morning. And, and God, that, that people wouldn't just, just go to the house and seek temporal living, but God, they would, they would see life change by the work that goes on there, by the hard work of John and, and all the other employees, and, and most importantly, the community, because Lord, if we know anything from the Bible, we know that we can't do it alone. Help us to take that to heart this morning and to honor you in all that we do. In Jesus' great name we pray this morning. Amen.